0: This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community, inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Before we get started, I just want to say uh, thank you to all of you. It's been so nice to um, send your condolences to my wife, Sharon, on the loss of her mom. We really appreciate that. But I wanted to tell you a little um uh, something funny that happened at the uh, service for her mom uh, we have a lot of grandchildren children ranging from 26 down to one year old uh, but our one old grandson five years old this was his first uh, funeral service he was very curious uh, it was a open casket so uh, uh, Sharon grandma took uh, Micah up to the casket and they were looking, and Micah is one of these gregarious little kids that has a million questions. He seems unafraid of anything, and um, certainly so young and naive that any question seems like an okay question to him. And so he was asking Sharon all about uh, Grandma, and and is and he was trying to. You could see he was trying to understand death. And so he said. Um, is she breathing? Uh, no, honey, she's not breathing. He said, I thought I saw her breathe. No, you, you didn't see her breathe. He said, okay. He said, can I touch her? Sure. So he touched her. He and I hope it doesn't gross you out, but he's just a little. five. He pinched her. Uh, he scraped her hand a little bit. Um, really curious. And then he left. Well, then a little while later, he got Sharon and he went back up. He was looking at her, and he said, well, she, she looks really dead. <laughs> and said, Sharon said, yeah, honey, she's about as dead as she's going to get. Um, Sharon said afterwards, you know, he probably did more to help me in those moments because of his naive understanding of life and death. He made it seem so incidental, you know, it's, and uh, not so dramatic as some of us uh, might think of it. And, and uh, I just wanted to share that with you that, you know, as people of faith, um, we should be like my wife Sharon is. Sharon says, I am not afraid of being dead. I'm not. I just don't want to go through the process. You know, and we should not fear death. And I hope that those of you who are raising children and have influence on grandchildren, uh, you can instill in them that death is not something to fear. It's a part of life, and we're all going to face it. And I I hope that our little grandson has a much better attitude about it than some. I've met adults who can hardly stand to go up and look and someone who has and has died and and um, uh, I think their perspective is wrong, so I just wanted to share that with you. I thought it was a, a good moment for for our family. Well today I'm going to share with you what I call the rewards uh, of Christian commitment, and I'm, I'm going to give us four words today and, and we gave you an outline because our unfortunately we're still having the technical issues and it's not on the screen, but that's okay because I think what I would like for you to do is get those outlines out, and I want you to take some notes. And at the end, you're going to need those because i want to give you four words, and then I'm going to have you, at the end, I'm going to have you circle one of those words. But here's why I want to talk about these four elements because they are some of the most important elements of our spiritual life with God and with other believers. And if we don't live by these four elements that we're going to talk about, then we are simply not living out the great commandment and the great commission of Jesus. The great commandment was to, we're going to look at in just a moment. And the great commission we'll look at that in just a moment if you're not familiar with it. But we're going to look at those uh, so you'll know what I'm talking about further. But here's the first word I want you to look at. And the word is connect. So this word connect is, is meant to focus us on two relationships that as believers in Christ we should have. Now if, if you're here today and by chance you're still in that transition uh, or still in that seeking phase of trying to understand who God is and who Christ is. And maybe you've not made that full decision or maybe you're listening on the podcast and that's where you are. You, you just haven't made that That decision, and and I'm talking to believers today, and you're saying, well, I can check out on on this message. Don't check out, because even if you're not a believer in Christ yet, and you're listening, I'm going to tell you, when we finish this, you're going to have a much better understanding of why you might want to make that step. So, so even if you're not a follower yet, stay with us, okay? You're going to like this, but there's two relationships that we must have, that we must connect with, as believers, the first relationship is your relationship with God, and the second relationship is your relationship with fellow believers. So, in Matthew twenty-two, beginning at verse thirty-six, Jesus is asked this question, and this is where we get the great commandments uh, commandment that, that Jesus gave us to to live by. The teacher. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, you know there were the Ten Commandments, but also in the process of hundreds of years, the, the, the Israelites, they, they created more commandments to help them live out the commandments. So, there were many, many commandments. So, the, it, what a great question. Teacher, which which of the commandments are the greatest? You know, I always think about the person that asked this probably said to themselves, as maybe you have said, you know, there's so much in the Bible that I ought to be doing, but I'm not doing all those things so well. I'm not sure I'm 100% on all of them. And I'm sure that this person who asked this knew that there are probably hundreds and hundreds of commandments that have been created to help the people live by, but who in the world could keep them all? So, you know, uh, which one's the most important Jesus. And here's what he replies. He said, the most important, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Now, folks, in other words, with everything that is you, everything that God created in you, the first and greatest commandment, Jesus says, love God with all of that. The second, he said, is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So let's look at this first way we connect is with our God. And, and, and that connect with God has to be the beginning point of who we are as believers. We are to connect to God with our heart, our mind, and our soul, with the entirety of who we are. And, and that's the reason the way God created us. He created us. You are his creation. You are made in his image He constructed you this way in your mother's womb. The psalmist says you were knitted together in your mother's womb. When he knitted you together, he knitted you together so that you would be in relationship with him, made in his image, capable of doing what no other creation that he made can do. We are the only creation that can connect to God because we're the only one that he gave a soul Every part of us, body, soul, spirit, mind, all is to respond to God in love, a complete love, an unrestricted, unrestrained, 100% of you is to be connected to God. We can't live in both worlds of being connected to him in some ways and still living in the world unconnected to him in the other way. He wants 100% of who we are. And we connect to God through One of the main ways that we connect to God is through worship. We also connect through prayer and through uh, meditation on the Word of God and, and through serving in His name. We connect with God when we stop having excuses as to why we can't connect with God. I don't know about you, but I've always, had, as a matter of fact, I still have excuses every once in a while. While I'm not why I'm not doing that connecting to God, but here's here's how some of those excuses w- would sound, and, and I've used most of them, if not all of them. Um, you know, I mean, if you don't haven't used them, you probably know people that have. So here's, I'm too busy. Just too busy to do all this church stuff and this, all this Bible stuff and all this God stuff. Just too busy. Um, I, I'm too shy. I, I mean, when it comes to this worship thing, you know, and you're standing and you're singing, when, and this guy next to me sings real well, and I'm, not, I'm just too shy. I'm too shy to be uh, one that worships in public. Well, I'm just too set in my ways. I've lived so long without God, and now I just can't change the way God wants me to. I'm just too set in my ways. Uh, And here's some other ones. I I, I can't sing. I I can't concentrate when it comes to meditating and reading God's Word. I can't understand what God's Word is. I, I can't sit still. I can't stand. I can't sit. I can't surrender. I can't stop worrying about what others think. I mean, those are all excuses of why we don't connect. And worship is one of our greatest connection points. Worship connects us us to God, and it connects us to the rest of the body of Christ, the church, because we are to come together and worship God. It connects us with each other as we worship. John 4, at verse 23, Jesus said, Yet a time is coming and is now and come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. In other words, with everything that we are, spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. You're the only creation that can worship God. Says right here, and he expects his creation to worship you, worship him, because that's why he created you. Now, do you see here what Jesus is focused on? He's focused here on the motivation that comes from the heart. See, worship in Jesus' day, as it is really in our day, too, is a heart issue. That's why Jesus said, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And at the end of verse 23, he says, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. He's searching for those who worship him, not just in ritual. I mean, a lot of people are are trained to worship God through ritual in the church. Uh, go through the rote memory. Uh, go through the the uh, uh, stations. Go through the signs and the signals and, the, and all the mechanical stuff. And we go through the ritual. And if I go to church every week and I go through the ritual of worship, I have worshiped God. No, you haven't. Because... Worshiping just through ritual, and I'm not saying that all ritual is bad, don't get me wrong, but if it's just ritual without the heart's involvement, it's not worship. And he's searching for those who will do it from the heart. If worship flows from the heart, if it flows from our souls, if it comes from our minds, then obviously worship should happen not just here, but it should happen in many places because if it's coming from all of that uh, that is you, then it's going to happen often. If, if worship is enjoying the presence of God, then it can happen anytime, any place. The psalmist said this seven times a day, I praise you. That word that phrase seven times means all the time. That's an expression. Seven times a day, I praise you because of your righteous judgment. Fact is, if we do not connect with God through our own personal worship all week, then Sunday worship will certainly be lacking. If worship is not a part of our day-to-day life, then attempts to connect through worship once a week is going to be deficient for you and it's not going to be all that God is expecting. The psalmist says, seven times a day I praise you. I wonder how many times a day do we say, I mean, do we literally stop and say, praise the Lord? And and I'm not saying, say, thank you, Lord, because I know we are pretty good about saying thank you, Lord, a lot. But how many times do we praise the Lord? You see, the praise of God through worship and giving God thanks—that's two different things. They are not even um, well. They're 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 connected, but they're not on the same page. Thanks to God and praise to God—totally different ideas. To connect with God through praise, you are aware of the character of God. You. You are aware of the attributes of God through worship and praise. You are talking about the qualities of God when you are in worship and you are praising his name. It is to recognize God in everything around you that you see him in all his creation and all events It is to recognize God in everything and His Holy Spirit. It's to recognize His Holy Spirit working within you. So we thank Him all day for what He's done, but we praise Him all day for who He is the God of grace, the God of mercy, the God of forgiveness, the God of love, the God of redemption. These are the qualities of God. These are his character qualities. We thank him for our family. We thank him for our job. We thank him for provision. But we praise him for who he is. Just imagine that kind of connection in your own life. All week you are realizing the God around you and how he is working. And you're praising him all week long. Just imagine how that then will work out in your own worship when you come into the church and it pours out of you on Sunday. Sunday is like the culmination. I've been waiting all week to share this praise with all my brothers and sisters in Christ before God. Not I'm coming in here and I sure hope that they sing something I like this week. There's a second way that we connect and that's with other believers. Jesus was asked, What is the greatest commandment? But, but he actually gives that in two parts. Um, but they're, like I said, their importance is equal. All Christians uh, know that they are to love God. And in fact, almost anyone that you would ask, even if they're not a Christian, you would say, Are Christians supposed to love God? And the other people would also say, Yeah, that's what they're supposed to do. So we know that we're supposed to love God. And that's, that's the first part he says. Uh, you know, we, we are to love the Lord our God. But then he goes on and he says, but you are to love others. Christians know they're to love God, but don't pass over this second part too quickly. In verse 39, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. We like to kind of slide across that one pretty quickly. Uh, concentrate more on the loving God because really, here's one of the reasons that we like to slide, slide across that one pretty quick. The, the loving God part, you really don't, I mean, I could tell you how much I love God and you, it's hard for you to, to know maybe. But if I don't love other people, boy, it sticks out like a sore thumb, doesn't it? And it's just as important that we love our neighbor. And I want to tell you, I know you have probably had it, but I've had some rotten neighbors, and I have to love them. There's a reason we, we are called children of God. And it's because we are family, because God the Father has adopted us into the family when we receive Christ. We are brothers and sisters. And from the earliest days of being believers in Christ, they fellowshiped, the church fellowship together. They ate together. That part of it, most of us in church have got down pretty good eating together. I used to tell, when we, we did a, an outreach to um, uh, convicts that were in a drug program and they would come to church every week and I used to tell them, you know, if no other, you know, you need to go to church. And we invite them back to our church when they were released. And we'd say, you know, you need to come to church. I said, if you can't think of any other good reason to come to church, let me tell you, the church ladies can cook. I mean, we have some good food in this place. And then we would feed them and they would agree. Well, we got the eating together part, we got that down pretty good. But here's some other things that we're, we're supposed to do as the brothers and sisters, as the family in Christ. Uh, We are to share with each other collectively. Uh, We gather offerings to meet the needs of others. Uh, The early church, they prayed together. They shared communion together. They served together. They studied together. They shared the good news of Jesus, which is the gospel. They shared that, and they did it together. The body of Christ, as the body of Christ, they were very much connected to one another. They held each other accountable. From their midst, they sent out pastors, and they sent out missionaries, They ministered to the sick together. They planted new churches together. They were the body of Christ. So we are not only to connect to God, but we are connected to each other and be unified as that body. So that word connect is important. But the second word is really important too, and that's the word engage. And to engage is to bring two things together. And the two things that this word engage is bringing together is this. Ourself as a believer and those around us who are not believers. We as believers are to engage those who are not. Now let me ask you, do you have any non-believers around you? You remember the statistic, I think it was last week or the week before that I shared from the, the last census? That said, and it's, it, it's, it's a shocking number, I, don't, I know some of you mentioned it, it's hard to believe it, but that 80% of our community does not attend church on a regular basis. When you throw that regular basis in there, it changes the answer. I've asked many people, do you attend church? Oh yeah, on a regular basis, uh, well, Easter and Christmas. 80% of our community is not involved in a church. So do you have any non-believers around you? <laughs> you bet. 8 and 10 on your street. 8 and 10 at your work. 8 and 10 at your school. But we can't, you know, and, and we are to engage our community. And I know that you have done that, you know, the, the outreach to Lakota with the school supply. Awesome thing you did. Awesome. But we cannot take that kind of a broad outreach to a community and say, well, now we've met the great commission of Jesus. We can't do that because that's that's not where Jesus was aiming us. Not on that broader sense, and that's the only thing we do, to go and make disciples. We are to engage our co workers and our friends and our neighbors with the love of Christ that we have and that they need. Look at that verse again. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Of who? Who does it say? Make disciples of who? Say it with me. All nations. Everybody. Now, understand that. To the disciples, this was kind of a, a new thing. We may think more openly than they did, but they were pretty much focused on the Jewish community. So he said, all nations. And then he goes on, what, do you, "What what's that make disciples mean? It means baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It means you helping them find their way into a relationship with Christ. So to engage is purposeful. Go and make, and I know over the last two months that I've been here, we have worked hard on understanding that Greek word translated in here as, in this verse, as go. The word go has a more um, robust meaning than it might appear in the verse. The Greek word here is not a word that is giving a specific command of a direction or a movement like, uh, go from this community to some other country and, and preach the gospel. The verse doesn't necessarily, necessarily send us all out as missionaries to make disciples. Instead of the word go simply meaning a direction, it's actually better translated, as we all know, if you've been here, the act of going or while going. So we are being commanded as we are going throughout our community to make disciples. As we are going to our activities, make disciples. Generally, and the phrase is in there, say it with me. While going through life, say it with me. While going through life, look for those moments that you can engage someone. You may see a person in need, engage them. You may see somebody working hard to serve you, engage them. You may see a lonely senior citizen, engage them. A struggling mom, a desperate neighbor, a a, a scared teen, a frightened co-worker, a hungry child, engage them. Engage is intentional. It's a mindset that you start your day with. When you say, Lord God, today give me a divine opportunity, one that you sent in front of me to engage somebody with your love. It's a mission from God that you are carrying out. So this word engage is important. And it leads us to our third word, which is serve. This word carries with it a lot of potential to show your life as a follower of Jesus, because you know Jesus made it very clear that followers of Christ are to be servants for Christ. In Mark ten forty five, Jesus lays it out this way: For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, we we talked about this a little bit last week, but I want to get a little deeper into it. You know, in Jesus' day, there were kings and emperors. Uh, They ran nations. They were your ultimate masters. And everyone had to serve them. Certainly, no earthly king or emperor served his subjects. In fact, in in most of the cases, even in the Bible, to speak to a king, you had to stand outside the throne room and wait for permission to even enter his presence. Now, if that was the position the king thought he had over all of his subjects, do you think that king was ever going to go out and do something that would serve the people that were in his kingdom? See, that wasn't the way they thought back then. But Jesus broke the pattern. Um, He broke the pattern that his 12 disciples had grown up understanding about kings serving for his disciples his disciples was often based upon who they liked that's who they served that was their pattern Uh, or they didn't serve who they didn't like they were much more apt to serve people they knew people that were like themselves more apt to serve people who believed like them, serve people who liked them, people who had the same religion, maybe the same background, the same dress code, the same language, the same dialect, the same heritage, the same race, those who attended the same temple services they attended, That's who they were most likely going to serve. And isn't it that way in our world today for for the most part when we see serving for so many people? They don't necessarily mind serving as long as they get to choose who they serve and they gain something from the serving. I've had people in the church be upset because they went through this process of serving and that whatever they did, and no one recognized them. You see, that's serving to get something back. That's serving because I want your attention. Not serving because I want to, it comes from my heart, I want to demonstrate the love of Christ. So when it came to the kind of serving that the disciples had been taught since their childhood, uh what they could do is they could, without any kind of guilt, ignore the needs of Samaritans. They could ignore the needs of Romans. They, they could ignore the needs of anybody that was non-Jewish. I mean, they were trained, they, they grew up having little compassion for the fallen sinners. I mean, look at all the Jewish reaction to Prostitutes, and tax collectors and a Samaritan beaten up left on the side of the road. Now, it wasn't that these disciples of Jesus didn't know how to serve. They knew how to serve. It was just that they thought it was okay to pick and choose who they would serve. And you know what? That's the way that most of us have been taught as well. I mean, really, if you think through it, it's the way that we have been taught. We serve in the church. That's good. We serve each other as brothers and sisters. Check that one off. And we should do those things. And we really need people to do those things. But then Jesus comes along in the world of the disciples, and for some of us, it's in our world, too. And he he turns this serving thing completely upside down. He came to serve. He came to give up. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He came to serve. He came to give up. He, he came to see the needs of others and do something for them. This, this isn't the serving that is done under the threat of punishment, that if you don't serve, and believe me, there are faith groups that that. that teach that if you don't do certain works in the church or certain works in the community, you're going to be held accountable for that. That's, that's serving out of out of the fear of punishment. Now, his serving was done as a way to express the love of God the Father. He wanted to express it to others. Jesus served. Now, get this. He served on the basis of of what they lacked, not what they could pay back. He served based on their lost spirit, not upon their merit. Jesus served based on a person, not on a person's past, but to give them a hope that would last. And truthfully, his disciples struggled at first with this teaching, So, Jesus would send them out outside of their comfort zone. He sent them into the community. He said, now, what I've taught you, I want you to go apply it and go do what I've taught you to do. And then you come back and then we'll discuss it and we'll talk about the results. And by him doing that and teaching that later on when Jesus has has been crucified and buried and he rose from the dead and now he's back into heaven and now the church is, is in the hands of the disciples, it was that selfless serving of others in the name of Christ that the disciples turned the world upside down. Jesus turned their world upside down with teaching them how to serve, but they turned the world upside down by actually doing that kind of serving. The believers took to heart Jesus' command to go and make disciples, and they left Jerusalem their comfort zone. They left Judea their comfort zone, and they went to various cities that, that was way out of their comfort zone. And then like Jesus, they went out And to serve the needs of others, from their spiritual needs to their physical needs. They served and they served. They served in the love and the name of Christ. They engaged and they served a community uh, called Antioch so completely, so intensely, so powerfully, that these non-believers in Antioch began calling the disciples the Christ-followers which we get the word Christian. So let's let's just us reflect. I know it's always good to just pick on those disciples and what all they did wrong, right? But let us reflect for a moment. If a survey was taken of all the people that know you and that survey asked this question, What words describe your life? Surveys taken of your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends and your family and who else, whoever else that knows you. And they asked those people, I want you to give me some words that describe Roy's life. What words would describe who you are? What, does, what words would describe how you live life? Would those words describe a Christian who demonstrates a great, the great commandment of Jesus to love God and love others? Would the, do the people around you, do they identify you as a disciple of the Great Commission, to go and make disciples. Last night, Sharon and I went to see a movie. If you haven't seen this movie, I really, really, really recommend that you go see it. First of all, we need to, um, I think we need to support the, the industry of Christian movie, movie making. They need to know that people will go to the theaters and see these things. But it's called Overcomer. And in that movie, Overcomer, they ask the question of several people, um, who are you? And they, well, I'm a coach and I'm a teacher and I'm a I'm a father and I'm a husband. And about this, and they say, Well, okay, what else? What else? It's about the seventh word down. One of them says, Well, I'm a Christian. And so the question was. How come that word wasn't first? How come you don't see yourself first as a Christian? What words would describe you and me? Our fourth word we're gonna look at today is grow. And this aspect of our mission as a church is really our foundation. If we as followers of Christ are not growing in our faith, if we as followers of Christ are not growing in our knowledge, then all the rest of this is just going to be a struggle. We need to grow in our understanding of worship, or we will never enjoy the potential of worship. We need to grow in our faith that we can do all things that Jesus calls us to do, not because of our own strength or our own youth or our own experience of age or any of that, not because any of that, but we can do what Jesus calls us to do because the Holy Spirit of the living God resides in us. We need to grow in our understanding of the Bible or we will not gain all the riches and all the promises and all the power that the Scripture holds for us. But here is the challenge. Can you say you are growing in faith? Can you say that you are growing in knowledge all the time? I mean, when the church announces that they're going to start a a, a new Bible study, a new small group, or, or, you know, when when you're challenged to do daily devotions as a part of a message, when you are given opportunities to put uh, your faith and your knowledge into practice, when we have times specifically to gather in community, when we have times to expand our faith, how do we actually respond to that? If we are being pushed and pulled and directed away from the opportunities to grow in faith, if we are being pushed and pulled and directed away from the opportunities to grow in knowledge, then who do you think is doing that directing? The dark enemy of our soul, Satan. He never stops pulling. He never stops pushing. He never stops trying to direct you away. And when we do draw the line, where is that line? You know, where's the line that says I'm not going to do this anymore because it's impacting my spiritual life. It's impacting my relationship with God. I'm not going to. I'm not going to work anymore hours away from from God. I'm, I'm going to set some boundaries there. I'm not going to be pulled into that group that always wants to go do stuff that that. All the time, every time I go with them, I walk away hurting because it's not healthy for me. When, what lines and boundaries do you need to draw because there are things wanting to drag you away, wanting to pull you away. And you're going to say, I'm not, that doesn't add spiritual value to my life. I'm going to stop that. When are we going to stop and say, instead, I'm going to commit to growing to Christ? So, to what are you committed? I mean, it's a tough question. I answered that all week this week, and it was painful. When you review your commitments, uh, I mean, can you say that you are really growing on a daily basis in faith? That you're drawing, you know, growing in a daily basis in knowledge. But, but it's not all negative because I want to give you the upside of doing this. Here is what we need to keep in mind. The promise of God is that the rewards of Christian commitment are the very best rewards that you will ever receive. You were created by God and His creation. He has a plan for your life. And if we follow that plan that He created you for... If you follow that plan, then his promises and rewards are absolutely tremendous. And while it may, may be stated in different ways, let me say his plan can be in these four words. His plans for you is for you to connect with your God and with others that he calls his children. His plan, his rewards are tremendous for that. His plan for you is to engage the world around you. And if you do, you're going, Why as you're going through life and you're making disciples, I'm going to tell you, every encounter will be a reward for you. His plan is for you to serve, to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ and, and to be watching for those opportunities to serve anybody and everybody that cross your path on any given day. And if you do His His rewards will be jewels in your crown. I don't exactly know what jewels in your crown will look like in heaven, but it's a promise that God's gonna give them, and I'd like to have one of those great big stinking crowns, you know? How about you? You want this little bitty thing with a couple, or do you want like... Every encounter will be that you engage in, it's all going to be a reward. And then his plan is for you to serve. And his plan for you, finally, is to grow. God's plan is for you to grow in knowledge and grow in faith. And that reward will carry you through this life. There are some people that have this beautiful attitude all the time. I mean, they they can be going through some of the most difficult things in life. And they will say to you, I'm so thankful that I have the Lord. I don't know how I would make it. Or I don't know how I would have made it through that situation had I not known the Lord. If he weren't in my court, if he wasn't by my side, if he wasn't holding me up. You see, to grow in your faith and your knowledge is this. That there is a comfort, there is a peace, there is a hope that God will give to you no matter what you face in this world. There's a story about this pastor who stopped to visit one of his newest parishioners and and uh, he found her tending her flowers. And it turned out that she was a master gardener, and this garden she had was extremely beautiful, with with every color of of yellow and green and red and pinks and all that. It, it was just amazing. And wanting to set the relationship with this new parishioner off to a positive note, The pastor said, Well, praise God for the beauty of his handiwork. And the lady turned to him with that hand on her hip and kind of an offended tone. And she said, Now, Pastor, don't go giving all the credit to God. You should have seen this garden before I got here and straightened it all up. You know, your life is like that garden. God has given you everything you need to become what he has planned for you. He's given you all the things, all the ingredients, everything is there. Every beautiful color, it's all there. But it's up to you to nurture it, to feed it, to protect it, and to maintain what he has given. Here's our next step. Take that notes that you have there, those four words, and circle the one that you need to work on the most. Not the one that you're not doing, just because you're doing all of them. But just circle the one that you need to work on the most. Would it be connect with God? Would it be connect with fellow believers? Would it be... Uh, to engage? Would it be to serve? Would it be to grow? Just circle that one. And then this week, just start your prayer times with talking to God about that area of your life. I'm going to go to prayer, but I, I just... I mentioned earlier that maybe some here really don't have that great relationship with the Lord that this would describe. And you're thinking, wow, there's so much richness in, in doing those things. And maybe someone listening on the podcast might be in the same place. You know, for the next step for you is you just got to get in, get that relationship started. Um, it's not enough to know of a God It's not enough to believe there was a Jesus. But this is not head knowledge. This is heart knowledge. And this is where you have to ask God, through His Son, Jesus Christ, to forgive your sin. Really, it's not a hard thing to do. A lot of people try to make it more um, complicated than that. I know when I was first told this, I said, well, I, I, there's some things i got to straighten up in my life before I could become a Christian. And they convinced me, no, you don't have to straighten up anything. He'll take you just as you are, all the bumps, the bruises, all of that, just as you are. All you have to do is say, what I am is, is not good. I need forgiveness. It's, it's a matter of you admitting to God that his son died to forgive to forgive our sins, to pay the penalty. It's a matter of you asking for that forgiveness. It's a matter of you asking, Jesus, would you come to my life and begin the transformation? So I want to pray today for all of us, but I really want to lead anyone who might not know Christ today. I want to lead you in a prayer. So I'm going to start there. So if you'll bow with me. And I'll pray this prayer, but all you have to do is just, you can pray it silently. Uh, You can whisper it. Uh, If you want, you can stand up and pray it out loud. It's okay. But you disagree with this prayer. Lord God, I believe in your Son, Jesus Christ, and that he came and died on a cross so that I might be forgiven of my sin. And I am one who has sin. And my sin needs to be forgiven. So right now, Jesus, I ask you to do that for me. I ask you, forgive my sins. Expunge my past record so that I can stand before you as one forgiven. And Jesus, take control. I I want you in my life. I want you, Holy Spirit, in my life because I'm not done too well without your power, and I want your power now to direct and guide me. So I pray, Jesus, come into my life. Amen. And, Lord, for the rest of us who are dealing with one of these four words, or maybe, maybe all of them, I don't know, but whatever we're dealing with right now in furthering our relationship with you, I pray that you will encourage me. Lord, this, this is a great church. It is filled with godly people people who know you, people who love you. Lord, I sense right now that there is discouragement. um, There is doubt. But Lord, your promise is that where two or three gather together in my name, there I am with you. You know, we can receive the same power here today that a church of 5,000 receives because it's you working with individuals. Lord, these folks here have the ability to disciple somebody. They have the ability to cross the path of, of a person in need, in need of Christ. And God, I pray that you will encourage them today that they are the church It's not about the building. It's not about how many people, but it's about them. They are a part of the church. They are the church, and you have called them and promised them all the things that we have heard today, that you will be with them, that you will encourage them, that you will uh, value them, that you will reward them, that you will bring into their life just such joy. And I pray today they grasp that from you right now. Spirit, as you move among us, that they will grasp that you are the God of power, forgiveness, the power to uh, enrich, encourage, use in ways that we haven't even begun to understand. And I pray all that in Christ's name. Amen. Listen, if you prayed to receive Christ today, you need to tell somebody. Tell me, tell one of the leaders, but you need to tell someone that today you gave your life to Jesus Christ.